you turn as you're seated to turn to Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21, as we read the Christmas story this morning. And as you turn to Luke chapter 2, uh, my goal for this morning is to uh, briefly reflect on two different ways people in our passage respond to the events of Christmas. Uh, we're going to see that some people marvel at them, but Mary treasures and ponders them. And as we'll see, while Luke obviously appreciates both responses, he clearly thinks that Mary's response is the better response. For Luke, Mary's response is the model that he is calling us to follow. And so what I want to do this morning is read our passage, then very briefly reflect on the difference between marveling at the events of Christmas and treasuring and pondering them, and then how choosing to treasure and ponder them is actually an invitation into a deeper prayer life and a deeper communion with Jesus into a way of having our lives reshaped, our understanding of the world reshaped so that we see Jesus more clearly in our lives. Uh, so let's read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21, uh, pray, and then we'll reflect on all of this together. <clears throat> Luke chapter 2, starting verse 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for them to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. But the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and singing, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel, before he was conceived in the womb. Now, thus far, the reading of what can only be God's own word. Let's pray. <coughs> Excuse me. Father, thank you so much for your word, which tells us about the wonderful events at Christmas. Lord, we want to become a people who, like Mary, treasure and ponder the work that you do in Scripture and in our lives and 
who reflect more and more on your ways among us as our redeeming God. But Lord, we know that we will not be transformed in this way unless your spirit blesses your word to us. And so Lord, we pray that you would give us now ears to hear, uh, minds to understand, and hearts to believe your word. Now, Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher, and may the meditation of all our hearts as those called to hear and respond to your word, may it all now be pleasing in your sight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm obviously going to focus on verses 18 and 19. It's important to just first reflect for a moment on everything that just happened before that. Uh, so we're told at the beginning of the story that Joseph and Mary need to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem in Judea in order to be registered in a census. Census taking was a, was a fairly normal occurrence in the Roman Empire. The Roman government needed to know how many people there were so that they could set the tax rate and create various laws that govern uh, their empire. Now, the reason why Mary uh, and Joseph would have to go back to Joseph's hometown rather than just stay in Galilee is that Jews had a slightly different relationship to the tax system and to Roman law than non-Jews. Uh, sometimes it varied with the emperor. Uh, they had a higher tax rate to pay for the privilege of not worshiping the emperor or the rest of the false gods at Rome. And so this census was important to Rome to find out how many people are not worshiping their idols and how much tax revenue they'd be able to squeeze out of them for that privilege. And it was uh, important for Joseph and Mary to be uh, freed from the burden of worshiping false gods and the emperor. Now, given the nature of the ancient world, the only way to prove who you were was for people who knew your history personally to vouch for you. That's why Joseph had to go to Nazareth to be registered needed someone to attest to his Jewish identity so he and Mary and his son would be freed from the burden of worshiping the emperor and the false gods of Rome. Uh, so they head out while Mary is still pregnant. And you'll, you'll notice the absence of the donkey here. Mary most likely traveled all of their roughly 90-mile journey on foot. So it was not a fast journey. I'm sure it would have taken several days. I just can't imagine a lady that pregnant running or jogging any of that roughly 90-mile trek. And when they arrive in Bethlehem, Luke tells us in verse 7 that there was no room in, for them in the inn. Now, inn is probably not the best translation simply because Bethlehem is a small, small town. It's not Rome. It's not Corinth. It's not Jerusalem or any other city that would have had actual inns, places where travelers could stay. A guest room is the best translation. And related to that, you'll notice the text tells us there was no place for them in the guest room. And while that could mean that the guest room was just full, the best and most likely reading is that Mary and Joseph were unwanted by Joseph's family and friends and neighbors. Joseph and Mary had traveled about 90 miles on foot with Mary incredibly pregnant so that Joseph could return home and be vouched for in the census. And when they get to his hometown with his friends and family and neighbors that he grew up with, no one, no one will take them in to their house. And what makes this especially surprising is that Jewish culture highly valued hospitality because God commands in the Old Testament that his people make space for the stranger and the orphan and the widow. Uh, but Mary and Joseph, they don't get the hospitality of orphans and widows, even when she started giving birth. Instead, they're allowed to give birth in the stable. 
Now, if you look at a map, you'll see that Bethlehem was nearby some rocky hills. Uh, some of those hills have caves where you could actually go into, that's my understanding. Though there are also, to my understanding, uh, many more overhangs that can shield you from the rain and maybe a little bit from the wind, though they're not actually caves. Those hills are where the stables were. So at best, Mary gave birth to Jesus in a cave. At worst, and most likely, she gave birth under an overhang of a rocky outcropping where there was a small bed for newly birthed sheep, maybe made out of wood, though most likely carved out of rock. And it would have been very dirty. Uh, it's a hill where animals live. This is not a house for people. It's not a hotel. It's not a cute wooden bar. It's a rock. It's a hill outside of town. So it's not hard to imagine how Mary and Joseph might have felt about all of this, though, though I doubt any of us can really understand the hurt and rejection that they felt, as well as the betrayal and the fear uh, as Joseph helped Mary give birth by herself outside of his hometown on a hillside in the cold, open air of night. And then add to that the fact that both Joseph and Mary knew that Mary was pregnant because God had implanted in her womb the child who would be called Emmanuel, God with us, who the angels, both of whom were visited by angels, told them would save God's people from their sins. I can't really imagine the confusion and maybe even the frustration they had with God at that moment as they're outside under an over, over, overhang on a rocky hill. Like, God, you've given us this gift. You've given us a Savior. We have been faithful. We welcomed him into our life, into our home. We've protected him. We've done things at great personal cost. And yet here we are, outside, betrayed, lonely, and exposed. What are you doing? Where are you? And then while they're going through that, we're told in verse 8, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. Uh, the fact that they were in the same region suggests that these shepherds probably kept their sheep in or nearby the same place where Mary was giving birth. And just to say this, I think I said this a couple of years ago, but it bears repeating. Uh, in ancient times, shepherds were not men. They were girls and young boys, about my son and daughter's age. Uh, they were often partnered with teenage girls, about 13 and 14 year old. Occasionally a teenage boy, though very rarely. And that's how it's been for a long time. You can see that all the way back even in 1 Samuel, when David is out watching the sheep by himself while his older brothers were in the house. Shepherding was the work for children and young teens, not for adult men. And I say that because I want you to understand that at the same time, Mary and Joseph were experiencing all of this, God sends angels and reveals the glory of heaven to children. Uh, it's eight, nine, and 10-year-olds with maybe, maybe a 16 or 17-year-old girl in there, but usually they were married by that time, so more likely 13 to 14 in there, who get to see the sky filled with angels and get to hear them sing. Uh, Greek doesn't have a separate word from saying and singing, so our translations say said, it's they were singing. They were singing. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. And it's these children who run and find Mary and Joseph on the Rocky Mountainside with Jesus newly born 
lying in a manger. And it's children that tell Mary and Joseph what they saw and heard out in the fields with their sheep. And that brings us to verse then 18. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Uh, Luke uses the word wonder to mean various things. Sometimes it means surprised. Uh, sometimes it means confused. Uh, but it almost always has a sense of happiness and joy mixed in. Uh, so you need to realize what happened. These children have gone into Bethlehem and they've told their parents, they've told their siblings, they told their neighbors everything they saw and heard. Now, if you think about what normally happens when a kid comes and tells you a big story like this, Dad, I saw a dragon! You know, our usual response is, oh, nice, what color was it? Oh, green, yes, very interesting. You know, we smile and we play along. Well, us adults, we're not taking it all that seriously, right? But here's a bunch of kids, and while the text doesn't tell us the number, we do know from ancient sources that groups of 10 to 15 were very common. And remember, there were a few older kids as well, probably, in their early teens. And so you have, for argument's sake, 10 to 15 kids, ranging from ages 5 to 14, 15. They're all saying the same thing. Now, if we're adults in that position, what are we going to do? We're probably going to say, like, wait, what now? Wait, tell me that again. Really? You guys saw angels? And they were singing because of a baby. You found a baby in the back of the hills. That's, that's incredible. Wow, really? That's amazing. That's what marveling is. It's that happy, surprised, maybe somewhat confused response to a story about what God has done. But you'll notice what else uh, marveling is in Luke's gospel. It's passing. It doesn't last. It doesn't produce change or help you go closer to Jesus. And you can see the fruit of that in the fact that it appears as though no one left Bethlehem to go see Jesus in the stable. It doesn't appear as though anyone realized, oh my goodness, that's Mary and Joseph, who I said, get out of here. Oh, maybe we should go invite them into our home. That doesn't happen. The, the joy, the happiness, the confusion, whatever it was that these families and neighbors and these kids had, it was all very passing. It didn't produce transformation or change or faith. And that's why Luke contrasts that response to Mary's in verse 19. But Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. Such a beautiful phrase, isn't it? Uh, to treasure means to defend something because it's important. It means that you preserve it because it's valuable and you don't want to forget it. And so here is what Mary did with the shepherd's message and with everything else, the 90-mile super preggers walk, the rejection, the cold, stony stable, the fear-filled birth, the angel's first announcement about Jesus' identity, Joseph's faith-filled response to God's word that he should remain engaged to Mary. She takes all of these things, as the text says, and she doesn't marvel at them. She intentionally guards these memories. And we've all done that with something in our lives. When, when you were a kid, did something ever fascinate you so much that you thought, I need to remember this? And you can probably still remember it to this day. 
uh, in relationships you have with your parents, with your spouse, your kids, your friends? Are there things that happen when you're together? Or are there certain character traits that a person has, like the way they laugh or the way they greet you, where you think, like, I need to keep this in mind. This is important to our life together, to our identity, and to our community as family, friends, and neighbors. That's what Mary is doing here with her son and with God. After these children come and tell her everything that's happened, she realizes that she needs to hold on to all of this. But not just hold on to it, not simply remember, she ponders it in her heart. Now here's what ponder means. It means to discuss, to wrestle with, and to reflect on. And in the Bible, when you do that in your heart, it means you're doing that while you're meditating on the Bible and while you're praying to God. And the fact that Mary has to ponder these things while considering God's word as she's reflecting on the scriptures that she knows and the events that have taken place, and while she's praying to God as she's wrestling through all of these things with prayer, that shows us that Mary knew she was in the middle of something that she had not started to fathom completely. Even with angels appearing to her, even when she sings inspired songs, Mary comes to understand that she's just begun scratching the surface of God's plan for her and her life and her friends and her family. She's just begun scratching the surface of the way that Jesus works in the world and the way that he works in her own life. And so she takes these events into her heart so that she can reflect on them and light up scripture and wrestle through them in prayer for years and years. Throughout the Gospel of Luke, Mary will be pondering things or treasuring them in her heart at very important moments in her life with Jesus. And my friends, what I'm hoping we do today as we celebrate Christmas is take the events of Jesus' birth and the work of Jesus in our lives that we know, and we treasure them up in our hearts so that we can ponder them while we meditate on the word, while we pray to Jesus today as family and as individuals. I mean, how good for us to reflect on regularly <clears throat> on why God had Mary walk 90 miles to give birth in the cold, or why God allowed Joseph to be betrayed by his family and friends in his hometown and say, no, you can't stay with us, you and your pregnant wife. Or why the father has his son born exposed to the elements on a rocky hillside. Or why God announced the birth of the Savior to children and not to kings and princes. I think we'll learn a lot about how in the Bible... Suffering comes before joy. Crucifixion comes before resurrection. The grave comes before the skies, in the words of the hymn writer. I think we'll learn a lot about how much our God values, as Paul says in Corinthians, the weak and despised things in the world, and how much he wants to identify with the lowly and the humble and walk with them, and how he calls us to join him in that task. And how even if we, when we are broken down and humbled, Jesus is with us. He does not scorn our brokenness and our lowliness. He does not despise us for our weakness. He comes and joins us to journey with us in it. Uh, but pet treasuring and pondering these things will not only teach us about God, they'll also teach us how to respond to God. See, we don't want to be a people who simply marvel at what God has done and go, man, that was really cool 
and then nothing changes. We want to be a people who reflect on it, who wrestle with it, who respond to it. Treasuring and pondering is a powerful way to respond to Jesus and to grow in communion with him, to become the kind of people who understand the way that Jesus' work works in our lives and the lives of our friends and family so that we can be then transformed into people who uh, see him and know him and are joyful in his presence. See, that kind of communion is transformative. It brings joy even to hard memories. Because think about it. Just, just think, about, think about Luke chapter 2. Everything I just said about Mary and Joseph is true. All of it's true. It's historically factual. But when you read the story, it doesn't sound defeated, sad, betrayed, or angry. It sounds joyful. It sounds hopeful. It sounds light. It's like, well, of course it's got to be this way. This is how God brings life into the world. Why does it sound that way? Well, because after all the pondering and treasuring, and of course, after the resurrection of Jesus, Mary had come to see the goodness of God and the mercies of Christ in all of this. And as she was telling Luke her part of the story, because remember Luke at the very beginning of his gospel says, I've met with all these people and talked with them, Theophilus, to give you a good account of everything that's happened. So as Luke is talking to Mary about all of this, as Mary is telling Luke, she is looking back on these hard memories with peace and joy at the way Christ entered into the darkness of the world and of her world in weakness, despised, rejected, impoverished, so that he could pour out the riches and hospitality of heaven for her, so he could assure her that even in the darkest night of the soul, the light of heaven in the person of God himself and Jesus is with his people. He's with her, he's with me, he's with you. That's what it did for her. It transformed the way she understands the work of Jesus in her life so that the most difficult memories became a source of joyful salvation and hope. I hope we can be transformed by the ways of Christ at Christmas, the way that Mary was transformed. And so I hope you take some time today to treasure and ponder the, way of, the ways of God as they were revealed at Christmas, and also as they are revealed in your own life as you reflect on Christmas. I mean, spend some time today prayerfully responding to this story and rereading the story and asking like, God, why, why did you do it this way? And that reminds me, why did you do this thing in my life? What are you showing me about yourself in all of this? How are you using this to open my eyes to the light of Christ as he shines in this dark world? But because at the core of Christmas, my friends, is this basic fact. Our God wants, he wants to be with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He wants to save us. He is Jesus, meaning Savior. He wants to help us. He is our shepherd who comes and carries us when we are broken. And therefore, our treasuring and our pondering of the ways of God, like they will not be in vain. They will be fruitful. We will be drawn closer to Jesus. We will be filled with his peace. We will be filled with his joy as we learn how he brings the riches and the hospitality of heaven to us who live with him on earth. 
because that is what he has come to give us. If I can put it this way, uh, we'll learn to see what the angels saw when they sang, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased, among those whom he wants to live with forever, you and me. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, please uh, help us to treasure and ponder your works and ways as they are revealed in the, in the Christmas story so that we can grow in our knowledge of you and our trust in you and our hope in you, uh, so that even our darkest moments would have the light of the joy of Christ that can only come through knowing that Jesus is with us. Now, Father, as we celebrate our Savior's birth with our family and friends today, may the work and presence of Christ bring us peace and contentment and hope and joy. Help us not simply to marvel, but to treasure and ponder and be transformed by the way in which you live with us. And we ask this all in Jesus' name and for the sake of the work that he's doing in our lives. Amen.